Without the resurrection, we have no reason to thanks other than what I get or what I have or what I can do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul said, What is our hope or our joy or our rejoicing? What is it? It is you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Well, the resurrection is the harvest hope of the believer. At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of the redeemed is the resurrection. For as the Apostle Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, hope gives way to victory. Down in verse 51, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, and the trumpet shall sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The single great hope of the believer, the single great reason to give thanks is for the victory that Jesus has snatched from the jaws of death's defeat and he has conquered both sin and death on our behalf. Well, it seems that we have over-spiritualized life beyond the grave into something like, you know, out there beyond the blue. Or maybe we sing in some blissful way, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. But why do we end up with, I'm going somewhere out there beyond the blue? Or maybe uh, a more somber song describes your thoughts beyond the sunset on some blissful morning. Are we just blissfully ignorant about what is to come? Or is there something more sincere, something more significant? The hope of the redeemed is a very real place with physical beauty, very much alive, in new bodies without all of the limitations that we now currently have. Anything less would not give us very much to look forward to and much less to be thankful for if there were no resurrection. Without the certainty of the resurrection, the hope of a harvest for redeemed souls would be of little consequence, of no eternal value. Make no mistake about it. The dead in Christ have not ceased to exist, but presently await the resurrection when body and soul will be reunited into one glorified being. The bodily resurrection of the redeemed is the cornerstone of our hope in Jesus Christ. It's our single great reason for giving thanks to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is not just somewhere out there someday beyond the blue where I don't know where or some sunrise blissful morning. It is very real, very certain, very much alive, and that for all of eternity. I want to share with you, first of all, resurrection requirements. Here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, go back to chapter or verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, resurrection requirements in verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
And if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. You cannot have one without the other. And if Christ is risen, we have certainty of the resurrection. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, our faith also in vain. Why do we bother on Sunday morning? You just have nothing else to do, and so you come? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised up not, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised, and if Christ be not raised, your faith in vain, you are yet in your sins. And then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. You'll never see them again. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. There is no one more miserable than trying to live the Christian life apart from the hope of the resurrection. You're trying under your own best effort and you will fail every time and you are miserable. You've got just enough religion to make you miserable every time you come to church. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul is clearly saying that if there is no hope in the bodily resurrection, there is no hope in Christ. Verse 14, our preaching is in vain. Verse 17, your faith is in vain. Verse 18, you would perish in your sins. Verse 19 concludes, we would be miserable failures without the resurrection. Without the harvest hope of resurrection, we are a pitiful lot of people. The modernist might suggest that Christ did not raise from the dead physically. It was a spiritual resurrection. And there are spiritual lessons to be learned. That might be the conclusion of the modernist. Some of you might ask, was it just a spiritual body then that we anticipate? Others might suggest, you know, it's not that important. I just believe that Jesus was a good man and I follow him. The physical death and resurrection is required. How that Christ died for our sins, chapter 15, back up in verse 3. And that, according to the scriptures, verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen above of five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the time of this writing, and after that he was seen of James and all the apostles, and last of all, seen of me, Paul also, as of one born out of due time. It must follow that if there is a physical resurrection for those who believe in Jesus Christ, because, first of all, of continuity, in your notes it's letter A, it provides continuity. R.A. Torrey said, We shall not be disembodied spirits in a world to come, but redeemed spirits in redeemed bodies in a redeemed universe. Randy Alcorn wrote, If we don't get it right on the resurrection of the body, we'll get nothing else right which is exactly what Paul's conclusion was in 1 Corinthians 15 down in verse 17, to suggest a non-physical resurrection is like talking about a sunless sunrise. When I say there is a sunrise, you make the assumption there is a sun. If I talk about a resurrection, you make the assumption there is a body. Different in glory, yes, but the resurrected body is no less real. Verse 35 down through verse 40 or 50 really describes it. 
Some of you say, how are the dead raised up and what kind of body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it dies. So every harvest hope, I put the seed in the ground. Paul likens the body to a seed that's placed in the ground. Something more wonderful comes forward from it in the resurrection, a greater glory. He does not say, when you read those verses or even the ones we read earlier, he does not say that one is physical and the other is non-physical, but that one is natural, which is to suggest that it relates to things of this earth, and one is spiritual, not to suggest that it's a disembodied spirit floating on a cloud somewhere out there beyond the blue on a blissful morning of a sunrise. That is not to suggest. It is simply to suggest it has to do with things heavenly, things eternal. One is terrestrial. One is celestial. One is corrupt, he writes. One is incorruptible. One is weak in its flesh. One is powerful in the spirit. One is earthly. The other is heavenly. The spiritual is never mentioned in contrast to the physical. In other words, he never says this one is spiritual and this one is physical. He says one is of the earth, earthly. The other is of the heaven, heavenly. The spiritual and the flesh, we get the idea that it's some sort of uh, weird thing out there for all of eternity and then I get that kid that comes up to me at camp sometime and says, why in the world would I want to go to heaven and live like that for all of eternity? Because we have this misconception of what heaven must be like. The spiritual never mentioned in contrast to the physical, but in contrast to the limitations of this temporal body once we're giving glorified bodies. A body without the present earthly limitation. A body without the present weakness. A, a body without the present sickness. A body without the present feebleness of mind and body and spirit. Death for the believer is not the end of all things as we know it as much as it is the beginning of all things as we so desire it to be. We're living today with one glory. We'll be raised to walk in newness of life. That's what he talks about in Romans chapter 6. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, he says there's one, body, one glory of the moon. There's another glory of the sun. And so we're living in the glory of the moon today. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing, this life but this life gets its glory from another source. What is that? It's a glory that is to come. It is a glory that has not yet been revealed. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Plato suggested the only way to be free of sin is to be free of any kind of body. But the hope of the redeemed is not an escape so much as a new kind, glorified body, continuity from this life to the next, recognized, real Death for the redeemed is temporary state of separation from the body until that body placed in the ground is reformed into a glorified being with clear recognition from this life to the next. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I see things in part, but then I'll know even as I am known. Sin has destroyed what God originally created. And this body of sin separates us from his presence the resurrection is all about putting back together body and soul. That's all death is. Death is not the ceasing to exist. Death is the separation of the, that which is eternal from that which is temporal. The body placed in the ground. The soul very much alive, very much real. 
There will be visible continuity to God's original design, which includes full recognition of one another. I don't think I'll have to have a sign around my neck that reminds you who I am. I don't even think we'll have to have a sign around Paul's neck to say who he is. I think there is just a greater recognition than we even have now. By the way, this time of year, you know, we put out uh, for the evergreens and for other things, you're encouraged to bring a non-perishable food, right? When something is non-perishable, does it cease to exist what it was originally? Now, you might argue that in today's uh, processing, uh, it's less healthy for you. I won't go into that right now, so it's not a real good illustration. But when you say it's a non-perishable food, it's still food, right? If it was green beans, is it still green beans? It doesn't cease to be that. It's something other, but still very much recognizable and very real. If there is no continuity from this life to eternal life, it would not be a resurrection. It would be something more like a reincarnation. And I don't know what that would be. It is not a reincarnation. It is a resurrection. And we look forward to an eternal body in perfect condition. There must have been a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. There will be a bodily resurrection of the dead in Christ. Also because it provides continuation from this life a continuation. This is the imperishable nature of the resurrection we read about down in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, down in verse 51 and, and, uh, and following this mystery that he shows us. This corruptible puts on incorruption, mortal puts on immortality, verse 40, 54. Eternal life is incorruptible, it is immortal, it is eternal, all of which represents complete victory over death. God has promised his followers eternal life, John chapter 3, our bodies will be transformed like unto Christ's glorified body. Philippians chapter 3, we will resemble Christ when we see him as he is. Otherwise, we could not look upon him. 1 John chapter 3, we will bear the image of heavenly things here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The primary difference between Adam, the first, and the second Adam, Christ, was their eternal nature from the moment of sin, man died spiritually and physically. Man began the process of death because of sin. From the moment you are born, you begin to die. Now, isn't that depressing, right? But it's the reality. It's the reality that we all face one day. Some of us have and will live longer than others. But the reality is that because of sin, we all die. The primary difference then is something eternal. Without hope of the re redemption, we would end up in what is called the second death. It is an eternal place of hell. You can read about it in Revelation 21. There are writings out there today that would suggest to you, because love wins, that there is no eternal state of the damned or the second death. They think it sounds cruel to raise a man only to send him to eternity in hell. The reality, though, is that all of us have eternal souls, and we will spend forever in some place. The choice is yours. And without Jesus Christ, we end up in a place called hell that was originally created for the devil and his angels. It's not created for you. It wasn't intended for you. It was never for you. It was because of Adam and his rebellion, or uh, Satan and his rebellion and all those who fell with him. That's who is intended for. You can escape that, but only if you believe in Jesus Christ. Sin affects our immediate and our eternal relationship with God. 
Redemption gives us the hope of the bodily resurrection that assures us of an eternal relationship with God. Without the physical resurrection, we would remain forever something less than what God originally intended for us to be. And as a result of that, Satan would forever be able to claim at least a little bit of victory because you will never ever be quite what God intended for you to be without the bodily resurrection. But we do have complete victory. Christ has snatched victory from the jaws of death's defeat. Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Non-perishable. Eternal life. Without the bodily resurrection, we would have no certainty of escaping hell, no certainty of eternal life, no reason for great giving of thanks. Satan could not keep Christ in the grave, and he surely will not keep us entombed either. Consider next, resurrection, redemption. For that, I turn back to Romans chapter 8. Resurrection's redemption. Redemption is Christ reclaiming what is rightfully his, though it has, of course, been spoiled by sin. It is true that all things will be destroyed, that is, purified by fire, but it is equally true that Christ will raise beauty from ashes. Notice, first of all, creation expects it. Creation expects it. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also being delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. All of creation expects a resurrection. This is our harvest hope, that all things will be remade for the enjoyment of the redeemed and the full glory of God. All of nature has been thrown off balance because of original sin. When men look on the world today, they say all things have continued as it was from the beginning of time. And we say, no, all things continue as it was since the fall of Adam. And then we even insert a time when there was the flood and the worldwide cataclysmic flood which threw everything out of its order all of nature has been thrown off balance. Isaiah gives us a glimpse into the balance that God intended and that God will restore in the new heaven and the new earth. Isaiah chapter 11, and I read, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the young lion together, the cow shall bear uh, with, uh, excuse me, the cow and the bear shall feed together. By the way, present meat eaters will eat straw like the ox and young children will play with all of them. That's the original order that God intended. We sing about this redemption in a Christmas carol. You may not think of it, but that's what it's about. Joy to the world. Joy to the world is actually not about his first coming. Joy to the world is about the second coming. 
when the Savior reigns and over all of the world, as far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found. Martin Luther said, Our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf of springtime, in every harvest. Randy Alcorn said, Human beings are, and the earth are inseparably linked. Together we are cursed, and together we will rise again to a new heaven and a new earth. We are, of course, the apple of God's eye, more important than trees, animals, uniquely gifted to bear, created, and to bear the image of God. We are the first fruits of the resurrection, he wrote here in verse 23, that even we ourselves grown within ourselves, that we know something better must have been intended by God. And while all of creation expects it, notice also all Christians will experience it. We anticipate it. We look forward to it. We know it must be better. I go over to Colossians. Colossians in chapter 1. Colossians in chapter 1. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Down in verse 16. Colossians 1 and verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, things that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you are that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled even you. Verse 22, Colossians 1 verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. This is the end view of redemption. It is the result of the new birth we have in Christ. This is what Paul called back in Romans 8, the end view of our adoption. He repeats it in Galatians chapter 4 when he writes, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Fullness of time, that's Christmas, right? So when God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them, us who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. All other things of creation wait until the Christian is redeemed at the resurrection. Everything else waits until we are resurrected. The power of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for the purpose of redeeming the crown jewel of creation. Now, you may not look, think of yourself as the crown jewel of creation when you looked in the mirror this morning with all of our blemishes and all of our weakness, but you are the crown jewel. You are the reason for which Christ died. You are the greatest example of the glory of God. The power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for the purpose of redeeming us from out under this sin. And yet the power of the cross does not stop there. It sweeps across all of creation. Not only will the redeemed be changed, but so too will all of creation be remade into its original, perfect, intended, glorified condition. Redemption at the resurrection is to be recreated in the image of God for the purpose of glorifying God, recognized by all of creation in the new eternal heaven 
and earth, but only for those persons who have accepted the work of Jesus Christ. Have you accepted Jesus Christ? That's the only question. Have you accepted what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf? You will not have a resurrected body based upon having accomplished enough good things. You can't do it. It's only through the miracle of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice on the cross, and the miracle of his resurrection. When this transformation of redemption occurs, then notice number three in your notes if you're following resurrection results. It's in John chapter 5. It talks about the newness. When Christ comes, the graves will listen to his command. Those who believe are raised to everlasting life, others to eternal damnation. All of it based upon the life you've lived, not the good works you've done, but the life you've, di- you've lived for what intention, what purpose, what will be remembered. And so for that, I'm all the way back now to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 where we started out. What's going to be remembered? Notice as we read those verses all the way down to the end of the chapter, and he says down in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The works that you do, you know them to be recognized by God. Paul said that we live our lives in hope of the resurrection, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's the whole premise of this chapter, the resurrection of the believer. And because of that, this is how I live. What you do does not save you. But part of our harvest hope is the expectation of reward received for the redeemed. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, right? So that we may receive the things done in our body according to what we have done, whether it be good or bad. Now that is not the basis of your salvation. That is not the the reason for which you have been resurrected. You are resurrected and saved on the basis of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But now because of that, I live different. This is the Bema seat, the place of reward. It's the anticipation that I will be recognized for what I've done on earth, not for salvation, but because of Christ and to his glory. The unsaved, by the way, have another place of judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. It is a place where they will be raised, stand before the great white throne judgment to be eternally condemned But even though the redeemed have escaped condemnation, we still give an account of our deeds at the resurrection. And I always kind of wonder why. Maybe you never asked yourself that question. If you're saved, then what's it matter? If it's not because of what you did, then why is there a record? Why do we stand before the Bema seat, this place of reward? First, I think it's to confirm that you've not saved yourself. If If you did happen to end up in heaven having placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but in the back of your mind, you still thought it's because, well, you're a little better than your neighbor. You'll stand before a judgment seat that will remind you for all of eternity you had nothing to do with it. It is only and ever because of the grace of the glory of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. Second, it appears to be for the purpose of reward. In relationship to the deeds of which God has kept a record. This is why when Jesus told his disciples a cup of cold water given in my name will not return void. Why? Because someone is keeping a record. By the way, if you do what you do to be recognized among men. You know what Jesus said in Matthew? Jesus said, well then you have your reward. 
If somebody's patting you on the back for all the good things, you, and you have to be recognized, your name has to be in the bulletin, and you've got to be recognized for all, whatever it is, however means by which you feel recognized, if you have to be recognized for the good works that you've done, congratulations. And now you have your reward. There's no eternal reward for that. It's the cup of cold water given in Jesus' name. It's the thing that you've done, the life that you've lived, the kindness that you've shared because of the name of Jesus Christ, not because of your name and not for any recognition of your own. God has kept the record, but remember this principle. If you desire to be recognized among men, there's no eternal reward, Matthew 10. Christian friend, you must live your life and do what you do so that it will be remembered in eternity, not just in this life. Second question about the resurrection is what's going to be restored? Just exactly what is going to be restored? What's it, what's it going to be like? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. So other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. We know that. Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this, gold, silver, precious stones, then in comparison to that, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare. What day is that? The day of the Lord. Judgment. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, then he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I don't want to, not by the skin of your teeth, but you understand that when you die, what can you take with you? Nothing. So what have you laid up in treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal? What have you sent on in treasure to heaven? Paul talks about two sets of foundation material. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. These are the elements tried by fire when the earth is refashioned. And so you ask yourself the question, what remains? What remains of all the efforts of my life? What remains of all the treasures for which I've worked? What remains of any and everything on this earth? Nothing. And then you begin to realize what is more important? What is most significant? Is it the wood, hay, and stubble? The house, the car, and the job? Or is it the gold, the silver, and the precious stone? Your children, the lives of your family, people around you, others that may hear about Jesus Christ, the things that you've done in the name of Jesus so that others may come, the gifts that you've given quietly and on your own here at church so that others may come and be a part of this ministry. What will really last? What will really be eternal? I know and you know you cannot take earthly treasure with you but there do seem to be elements of the earth that are restored, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, other things burned. The hope of redemption includes the restoration of the physical elements, all the great beauty, the lasting beauty of the earth will be restored. The hope of the redeemed includes the reality of loved ones who have died in Christ, those who sleep in Christ. There may be more for us to enjoy than you and I ever previously imagined, that's why John concluded in 1 John, which we've read, by the way, on Sunday mornings in the past, 1 John chapter 2, Now, little children, let us abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence before him and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But, when we, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. 
for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him, 1 John 2, verse 3, purifies himself even as he is pure. Are you living in the purifying hope of the resurrection? Harvest hope recognizes greater return in the resurrection to come. Who among us does not recognize that this life is too sad, it's too incomplete, it's too miserable, it's too full of frustrations, it's too full of wickedness to bring us any satisfaction? No one among us can deny that. And I'm sure you desire a far more noble purpose than the paycheck or the retirement or the house. You all know those things don't last. And at every funeral I stand, I read the words of Christ because everything changes at death. The questions of life are what you have, but the questions of death change. For what shall it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Or what wouldn't any of us give in exchange for the certainty of eternal life? The longer you live, I would imagine if you're a child of God, the longer you live, the less this world has to attract you. The harvest hope will not remove the toils of life on earth, but it will certainly make your days more bearable in anticipation of better days to come. Eternal life gives us eternal hope, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you been thankful this Thanksgiving? Did you think of something to be thankful for? Now, you probably thought of a lot of things you have to be thankful. But what if all those things were taken from you? Do you know you still have something to be thankful for? It is eternal. It is a treasure in heaven, and it can never be taken from you. Have you told other people about that? The single greatest reason for your hope and for your thanksgiving. Have you told somebody else about it? Have you accepted him as your personal savior? It's easy to be thankful when everything's going good, right? But when everything's going badly and the world is just piling in on you, do you still know what to be thankful for? Do you still know beyond the grave what we have and that in Jesus Christ? It is an eternal hope and it can never ever be taken from you. Would you bow with me in prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed, just to pause for a moment to remind us what to be thankful for. Moment of invitation to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've given to me. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you that I'll never have to fear death again. Thank you, Lord, that I have a hope that is beyond the grave. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we're paused before you now, and we just say thank you for all that we have. Perhaps we spent a, a week where we've, we've dealt with death. We've had to overcome fears and we've worked through our sorrows. And perhaps we sat around a dinner table and we thought of things that were so sad and so miserable and what this world has done. But Lord, you've given us a hope that is eternal. It is through Jesus Christ. May everyone that has heard this message this morning understand it clearly understand it clearly that they cannot save themselves. They cannot improve their eternal state. But Jesus Christ has done it by his death on the cross and by his resurrection because if in this life only we have hope, 
then we are of all men most miserable. But we have great joy, great reason for thanksgiving, because the grave is empty, and you have risen from the grave to snatch victory from the jaws of life's greatest enemy, death. To that we thank you and praise you and thank you with great anticipation of the harvest hope, the resurrection, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, this week we've got some things going on uh, like decorating. I think it is on Wednesday and some other things coming up. I hope you'll find your place to be. Wednesday night, by the way, I think Lynette is going to be with us. Lynette will be with us in the service Wednesday night to share a little bit more about her testimony with those who gather in prayer meeting. And, of course, Awana starts back, so don't forget to get back into your place for your responsibilities there. And, uh, again, no other services uh, th this evening. And I'm looking for Marie McAfee. Is she here? Because I think there's choir practice. There is choir practice, though, right? Choir practice right after the morning service and no other evening services other than the, the, uh, the hymn sing that some will be gathering for down in room 105. God bless you, and you're dismissed. <laughs>